1 Samuel chapter number 30. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. Did anybody in here this past week have at least one bad day? At least one bad. How many of you had a bad week last week? You know, there are such a thing, sometimes seem like those bad days turn into bad weeks. Well, I read this week a list of the top five ways to tell if you're having a bad day. And here they are, the top five ways, and I'll count them down, number five to number one. Here is a way to tell that you're having a bad day. First of all, it's going to be a bad day. Number, one, uh, or number five, when your twin sibling forgets your birthday, you're going to have a bad day. Number four, it's going to be a bad day when your horn sticks on the freeway behind 32 Hell's Angels. It's going to be a bad day. Number three, it's going to be a bad day if you call the suicide prevention line and they put you on hold. It is going to be a bad day. Here's one of my favorite ones. It's going to be a bad day. Number two, if you wake up to the soothing sound of running water and then you realize you bought a water bed this week. It's going to be a bad day. And then my favorite one. It's going to be a bad day. And boy, we all can identify with this one. Uh, when you pull up to the pump and it costs you, cost you more to fill your car up than you paid for your car, it's going to be a bad day. How many of y'all seen these signs, these little stickers on these gas pumps? And it's a picture of Joe Biden, and he said, I did this. It's going to be a bad day when it costs you more to fill your car up than you paid for. Well, if you've ever had a bad day, I can truthfully say that it's not been as bad as David's bad day in our text this morning. I think he probably had the bad day of all bad days. Let me tell you what's happened in our text this morning without having to read a lot of scripture to begin with. David and his little ragtag army have been out on what amounted to be military maneuvers. They've been gone for a while. And as they make their way back home, one can only imagine the feelings of excitement that they have as they near their home base. They've been out for weeks. Man, they can't wait to get home. They're thinking about seeing their wife. They're thinking about maybe hugging their kids, maybe eating a good meal, maybe sleeping in a soft, warm bed. I mean, man, they're excited about getting back home. But as they top the hill overlooking their little village named Ziglag, they're struck with fear. Because we read in verse number 1 that an enemy has invaded their little town. An enemy, the Amalekites, have invaded their little town. And all of their homes, all of their barns have literally been burnt to the ground. I mean, what, what, when they left, what was a pretty little town, a sleepy little town with just their families and their, uh, their livestock and their barns is, is now nothing more than blackened, smoldering timbers. Their fields have all been torched. Their crops that they've so labored for have all been destroyed. And then as we continue to read, all their livestock has been taken off, either killed or either stolen. But to add insult to injury, as we continue to read, we find that they've not only lost all of their material possessions, upon further investigation, they find also that their families have been taken captive by this invading force. Now, it's bad, and you agree with me, it's bad to lose a home. It's bad to lose a barn. It's bad to lose your cattle, your, 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 your chickens, your livestock. But to have your family kidnapped is, is tragic indeed. 
I mean, you think of all of the bad that could happen to your family. Think about your little kids and, and the fear that they're experiencing uh, in, the, in the possession of this, this invading enemy. You think about all the torture that your wife may be going through and you maybe start to wonder if you'll ever see them again. Well, that's what David's bad day consisted of. And I venture to say anybody in here this week didn't have a bad day like David's bad day. But if I could just jump way ahead of myself and tell you, everything's going to be all right. I mean, by the time this story is over, what actually started out as a bad day, a tragic day, actually ended up in a great victory. You see, by the time this chapter is over, 1 Samuel chapter 30 is over, David and his, his army have tracked down that invading force. They have actually, uh, uh, they've actually got their families back. They, they've got their cattle and their livestock back. And they've whooped the fire out of that crowd for taking their families away. In fact, if you look at verse 18 and verse 19 of this same chapter, the Bible said this, And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken of them. David recovered all. It's a great story. It starts out tragic, but it ends up in great, great victory. But now I need you to look this way. Let me tell you, that's not all the story. You see, as we read in this story about all that's taken place, there's another story in this story. And so this morning, here's what I want to preach about. I want to preach about the story within the story. Because we read in this text as David and his men are, are out trying to find this army that's carried off all of their possessions, that something happens. So join me now in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and look, if you will, there in verse number, uh, verse number 10. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Bezor. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat. And they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of, uh, of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him. For he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou? And whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites and upon the coast uh, which belonged to Judah and upon the south of Caleb and we burned Ziklag with fire. David said, unto, uh, said to him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither uh, kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I'll bring thee down to this company. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad. This invading army was spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight unto the evening of the next day, and there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. And that's all I'm going to read. But we come to understand that in this great story of tragedy and in this great story of victory, there's also a story 
of misery. It is a story within the story. You see, as David and his men decide to pursue this invading force, and they're looking for tracks and broken limbs, they're, they're trying to find out which way this army went, tore off with their family, the Bible said they come upon this man that's laying out in the field. He's a wounded man. He's a sick man. And he's lying out in this field. Come to find out he's been a part of that invading force that has burnt their possessions and has kidnapped their families. And the Bible said that he is brought to David. Now really, the rest of the story revolves around three people. There is this wounded man that we're reading about in verse 11 and following that, 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 that soldier that's been left out in the field. Now let me stop and say, in that soldier we see a picture of ourselves. We meet ourselves in the story of this wounded, this wounded soldier. In fact, can I tell you this? If you look there at verse number Verse number 13, he says this, I am a young man of Egypt. How many of us know in the Bible that Egypt is a type of what? Egypt is a type of, right, three of you, the world. So he is a worldly man. Then we read that he is, an, he is a servant to an Amalekite. Amalek in the Bible was a type of the flesh. So now we've got a young man, and he's of the world, he's of the flesh, and then we read in verse 13 that he had a master, and that master turns out to be a very cruel master, and we understand that master to be a picture of the devil. So here is a young man, just like we all were. We were governed by the principles of the world. We were driven by the principles of the flesh, and we were led by the principles of the devil. Every one of us in this room meet ourselves in this young man. He had three enemies. He had an internal enemy. That's the flesh. He had an external enemy. That's the world. He had an infernal enemy. That is the devil. And ladies and gentlemen, that's who we were before we ever met the king. Every one of us. So we read about this man. Then we read, if you look back up in verse number 11, we read about some of these soldiers that have gone out and they find this man. Now, these soldiers to me are a picture of what the church and us Christians ought to be doing as we live out the last days. You know what we need to be doing? We need to be finding those that have been wounded. We need to be finding those that have been left behind. And what do we need to do? We need to bring them to the king. Can I have an amen? That's, that's our job as a church. We're not just a little social club that meets over here on Sundays and has a little spiritual flavor and touch thrown in. No, sir. Our job as God's people is to find those who are wounded in this world and bring them to the king. Can I have an amen? And then this king in this story represents the Savior. I know David had his problems. David had his faults. David had his failures. I get all of that, but I'll tell you what, in this story, he is a picture of the Savior, full of mercy and grace toward those who have highly offended him. How many of y'all are with me now on this? All right, can I break it apart just real fast? It is 10, 30, 6 on my clock. Don't pay no attention to that one back there. It's wrong. I got three more minutes to preach if I go by my watch. Let's talk a little bit. I'm talking about this story now. Let's talk a little bit, number one, about the wounded warrior. Let's talk a little bit in this story about this man that has been found 
in the field. Now, I told you a moment ago, he's just a picture of you. He's just a picture of me before we ever were brought to the king. And the reason I say that is because of two things that we're told about this wounded warrior. First of all, look in our text. Number one, we are told that he was famished. He was famished. Look at verse number 12. The last phrase of verse number 12 says, He had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. So what we come to understand about this wounded warrior is that he has been left out here in this field, uh, lying out in this field in those elements for three days and three nights. He's not had anything to drink. He's not had anything to eat. Can you just imagine what he's been through for those three days and three nights? Can you not just imagine that hot sun beating down upon him by day, draining and drawing all every bit of the moisture out of his body? No doubt his, his mouth is parched and maybe his lips have cracked open and have started to bleed. Because of a lack of water, his muscles are cramping and violent pain. His skin has been scorched by the hot Middle Eastern sun. That's by day. But then at night it gets much worse because at night when that sun goes down, the winds begin to sweep across that field and as he lays there in that, in that uh, field, as the wind subsides, the dew begins to fall and soaks his very clothes and he lays there all night long and he shivers in the, in the cold. He has nothing to eat and nothing to drink and nothing to cover himself in, with. He is at the mercy of the elements. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He's hot. Then he's cold. And as he looks up in the day, no doubt the, bu the buzzards are circling his head. They're waiting for the last ounce of life to drain out of him so they can come down and seize his dead carcass. Yes, sir. Oh, he's in a mess. He is in a mess. You see, this young man is a picture of what sin promises but never produces. Can I say this? Sin always makes great promises, doesn't it? But it never produces what it promises. Sin promises ecstasy, but in the final result, it always produces agony. Sin promises thrills, but in reality, it winds up killing us. Please hear me and hear me well. You'll never find what you need. You'll never find that precious water and that bread of life. He'll never give you what you need to satisfy you. He'll never give you what you need to provide a covering for you. All he'll do is leave you in a field famished and desiring for something to satisfy you on the inside. I said number one, he was famished. Three days, three nights, he's had nothing to eat or nothing to drink, but not only was he famished. Look again at the end of verse number 13. He was forsaken. Look at verse 13. The Bible said in that last part of verse number 13, three days ago, my master left me because I fell sick. Isn't that just like the devil? I mean, isn't that just like him? Here's this master, this, this Amalekite master who's used this young man to accomplish his very devious purposes in, in invading Ziklag and destroying the town and carrying off uh, the family and all of that. He's used him, but he, he's not just left him famished, but he's also left him forsaken. He, he's been abused and he's been used and he's been bruised. And in the final analysis, when he needed somebody to care for him, somebody 
somebody to help him. He was refused. Can I stop and say, is that not the history of the devil? He'll use you. He'll abuse you. He'll bruise you. And then when you need him, he'll refuse you. That's who the devil is. He'll leave you forsaken. His master used him for what he could get out of him. His master uh, uh, used him for, the, uh, for everything that he could do for his master. But when he needed his master, his master walked off and just left him. Is that not a picture of the devil? Oh, would to God today we could get people to see that if you're following the devil today, you're following somebody that doesn't care anything about you. All he wants to do is use you, abuse you, bruise you, and then when you need him most, you know what he'll do? He'll refuse you. Is that not a picture? How many of y'all with me on this this morning? Is that not a picture of what the devil does in the lives of people? Can I stop and make a statement right here? I've made it before, but can I make it one more time? The devil has no happy old people. Amen. I'm not being crude here. Uh, by, by any stretch of the imagination. You show me somebody that is that has followed the devil and has given their life over to the devil. Now they're 75, 80, 85 years old. You show me one happy person you know that's lived for the devil all of his life. There's no such thing, friend. There is no happy. The devil has no happy old people. I'm telling you, when you follow this master, can I just stop and say there's nothing but famine? There's nothing but frustration? There's nothing but failure? There's nothing but fault? There's nothing but fear? There's nothing but filth? There's nothing but forsaken? I'm just here to tell you, you're following the wrong master if you're following that kind of a master. Yes, sir. He's a wounded warrior. He's been famished and now he's been forsaken. Oh, I wish you could understand. The devil will promise you a good time. He'll lead you about. He'll get you hooked. Yes, sir. He'll get you addicted. He'll get you in bondage. He'll draw you from here to there in the promises of you having a great time. I mean, man, things going great in your life. But I'm here to tell you when life is over, when you need him the most, I'm here to tell you he's going to refuse you because he's going to the same hell that you'll be going to and you'll be left abandoned, forsaken by ever, uh, forever and and forever and forever. I'm telling you, stop following him and get in line to follow Jesus today. The wounded warrior. But now we move from the wounded warrior to number two, the seeking soldiers. We leave the wounded warrior. He's there in the field, but now we, we kind of get down to where we are as a church and we learn a little bit from these seeking soldiers. Here these men are at. David said, hey, scout the area. Look for trails. I, you know, like them old Western movies. Look for tracks. Look for broken uh, twigs and branches. Look for footprints. I mean, let's find out which way they went. We got to get after these people. So these soldiers are out, you know, trying to strike a trail to find this invading army. And when, when all of a sudden they come across, in verse number 11, they come across this Egyptian that's been famished and forsaken that is laying out in the field. I mean, they could just tell by looking at him. He doesn't have long to live. He's fevered. He's weak. He's laboring to breathe. No doubt death is near to this man. I told you a moment ago about following the old master. He didn't care anything about him. He's been left in this horrible condition. But then these soldiers, when they came to where he was, they did three things for this boy. There he is, famished and forsaken. Number one, they found him. Number two, they fetched him. And number three, they fed him. Amen. Come on. Can I... <laughs> 
I guess I'm just going to have to get blessed by my own preaching this morning. But can I just stop and say, I mean, there he was, famished and forsaken, and all of a sudden these seeking soldiers come and they find him. And after they find him, the Bible said they fetched him. You say, where'd they fetch him to? Look at verse 11. I like that southern talk, don't you? Look at verse 11. They found an Egyptian in the field. They found him. Then they fetched him. What'd they do with him? They brought him to David. What'd he do when he got near to David? They gave him bread and water to eat. Can I just stop and say, that's the purpose of the church today in these last days. I know, I know things have changed since coronavirus. I get all that. But are you like me sometimes and you wonder to yourself, why, why don't people get saved anymore? And I know last days I get all that stuff. But I tell you, maybe one of the reasons that no more people get saved than do is because we as God's people ain't out there in the field finding them wounded warriors that's been left famished and forsaken by, by an evil master. Can I have an amen? Amen. Can I ask you a question? Not getting after you, but when's the last time you brought a wounded warrior in? When's the last time out here? Can I tell you, the world's full of them, man. Where you get your gas? Full of them wounded warriors. Where you buy your groceries? I mean, this world is full of these wounded warriors that have been famished and have been forsaken, and they're looking for somebody who will find them and fetch them and feed them. And that is the job, the purpose of the, the purpose of the key, uh, of the church in these last days. We find them. We, we, we're out here in the world. We're maneuvering around in this world. We find them. And then by the help and the grace of God, we, we fetch them. We pick them up. And what do we do? We don't bring them to the Baptist. No, sir. The Baptist can't help them. We bring them to the king. The king can help them. And, buddy, when they get in the presence of the king, what's he going to feed them? Watch this. Bread and water. What's the bread? Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. What's the water? Jesus said, I'm the living water. Friend, they just need to come to Jesus. They need to be brought to Jesus. The, the fields are white. The laborers are few. The fields are full of, of those who have been famished and forsaken. It's our job as, as the God's people living out in these last days to find them and to fetch them and to feed them. That's our job as a church. When's the last time you found one? How many people have been saved recently because of your testimony? How many, how many people have been saved recently because you have personally been after them to get them saved? Oh, I know it's getting quiet right now, but I'm just telling you, friend, that's still our job. There's wounded warriors. We're to be seeking soldiers. We're to find them in this world, bring them to the king, and see to it that they are fed. So we see, number one, we see a, a wounded warrior. We see, number two, seeking soldiers. But now we're not done yet. Look at this. We also see the kind king. Now what happens in our text? Well, verse number three, uh, verse number 11 says, they brought him to David. Now, you and I knowing David and knowing what a fierce warrior he was, uh, what would you imagine David's going to do to him? I mean, if that would have been your youngins he'd have carried off. I mean, he's part of this invading. I mean, out of his own testimony, verse 14, he said, man, I was, I was with that crowd that burned Ziglag. What would you do if you knew somebody burnt your house down? What would you do if you knew somebody carried your cows off? You say, well, I ain't got none. Well, your hamburger out of your freezer then. <laughs> what would you do if somebody took your chickens or your eggs out of your refrigerator? Hey, what would you do if you got home today and there was a note tacked on the tree and there's the burning embers of your home, and that note said, I've carried off your family. 
You'll never see them again. They're gone forever. What would you do to somebody like that? Well, I don't know exactly what I'd do be put in that case, but I probably wouldn't respond like David responded. You know how he responded? How he responded? He responded in grace. He responded in mercy toward this man. In fact, if you'll look at verse 13 and following, I couldn't help but notice David has three questions for this wounded warrior. He has three questions. Notice, if you will, verse 13, to whom belongest thou? Question number two, whence art thou? Question number three, down in verse 15, canst thou bring me down to this company? And by the way, can I stop and say that's the three questions God is asking everybody in this room today. Same three questions. This old boy's brought to him. He's been fed a little bit. His spirit has come again uh, to him. He's, he's revived now because he's been brought to the king. He's been fed the bread and the water and the raisins and, and, uh, and all that other, the, the, the figs. And his spirit is revived. And David said, okay, I got three questions for you. Number one, who do you belong to? Number two, whence art thou? Number three, can you bring me down? to this company. You say, preacher, what does all that have to do with us? Number one, question, who do you belong to? Uh, that's verse number 13, ain't it? Verse number 12, uh, verse 13, whom belongest thou? Who do you belong to? Everybody belongs to somebody. Oh, you say, well, I belong to this little old lady right over there. No, I'm not talking about that. You say, well, I belong to my husband over there. No, I'm not talking about that. Spiritually speaking, who do you belong to? And there's only one of two possible answers. You either belong to the Savior or you belong to the devil. Now, I'm not trying to insult anybody. I really am not. I, I'm not trying to make anybody mad. It's not my purpose this morning to tick somebody off. But i got to be a preacher of the truth this morning and just tell you that if you're not saved, then you belong to the devil. And if you are saved, you belong to the Savior. Let me tell you, say, preacher, how dare you tell? I ain't never come back to this church no more. That's fine, but we got you this morning. And I'm just here to tell you this morning that if you're not saved, if you're not following the Savior, guess what? You belong to the devil this morning. I know that's not pleasant to think about, but there's only one of two families on the earth. And by the way, it ain't the Democrats and the Republicans. <laughs> Thank God for that. You're either the, in the family of Jesus or you're in the family of the devil. You say, preacher, you don't understand. I don't have a prison record. I don't ride with the hell's angels. I don't snort or smoke crack. Preacher, I don't drink. I, I don't have, I, I, I've not done anything terrible. I try to pay my bills and do what's right. Can I show you what Jesus, what Jesus said to a very religious, upright group of people one time? This is the words of Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus looking at a crowd of people who were in church every Sunday, who were gun barrel straight, who, who, who lived, tried their best to live by the law of God, and here's what Jesus said to them right here. Ye are of your father, the devil. You see something, friend? You don't have to have a prison record to be in the devil's family. You don't have to have a, uh, be addicted to drugs to be in the devil's family. Look, if you're not following Jesus, guess what? You're already in the family of the devil. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to make you mad at me, but I mean, the Bible just simply says there's only one of two families and everybody in this room, if you get born again, you get in the family of Jesus. If, you, if you're not saved, you're in the family of the devil. I mean, cut and dry may not sound right. We may not like to hear that, but that is the truth according to that Bible right there. There's no neutral ground. Well, somebody said, preach, you don't understand. I'm not, I've never accepted Christ, but I'm not against Christ. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. And if you don't gather with me, you're scattering abroad. 
I mean, Jesus, uh, David, the king, looked at this old boy and said, I got a question for you, man. Whose side are you on? Whose family are you in? Who do you belong to? Maybe that's the question. I just need to emphasize, who do you belong to this morning? Who's, who's your master? Who you following this morning? Who controls your life? Hey, which cometh, uh, 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 who, uh, to whom belongest thou? Whose family are you in this morning? Where are you from? And then he said this again in verse number 13. Look at this. Whence art thou? Now watch this. That question simply means this. What have you done? Hey, who do you belong to? Hey, what have you done? You know what this old boy said? Down verse 14. I mean, I mean, he just makes a confession. I mean, he, he ain't trying to cover it up. He ain't, he, he's not trying to be somebody he's not. I mean, he don't say in verse number 14, well, guys, thank y'all for fighting me. This happened to me on my way home from Walmart. I'd been to Walmart. I was walking back home. I got to feeling a little faint. I just fell down here. No, he, he, said, he didn't say I just come from Walmart. Watch this. He didn't say I just come from church. He didn't say in verse number 14, well, I was on my way home from church service and got to feeling bad. I passed out here in the field, and I've been in this shape ever since. I like his honesty about the thing. Look at verse 14. He said, I'll tell you what we've done. We've invaded the south. We came upon Ziklag. We burned it with fire. I mean, he just gets totally honest before the king. Can I tell you something? You and I will never get anywhere with the king until we get honest with the king. You can't, the Lord looks at you, what have you done? Well, I've tried to do and be the best person. That's not what's going to get you anywhere with God. You know what? When God looks at us and says, hey, what have you done? The best thing we can do is, oh, God, I'm a sinner. Lord, I ought to be in hell. God, I ought to be, I ought to be uh, eternally separated from you forever and ever and ever. I, I don't deserve anything from you. Then you get somewhere with God. Remember that story in Luke chapter 18 where them two boys went to church? The one a Pharisee, the other, the other one a publican. And the Word of God said that old Pharisee stood off, uh, 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 stood off in the crowd over there. He was saying, Father, I thank you that I'm not like that old publican over there. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And God, I'm not like that old boy over there who lives wicked and ungodly. And he got through praying. And that old publican, that old lost man standing over there smiting himself on the breath. He said, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Bible said that man, that old publican, went down to his house justified while that other old Pharisee went home dignified. I'm going to tell you something. People are going to be dignified all the way to hell this morning. We got to get honest. God, here's what I've done. Let me just lay it out for you. I'm wicked. I'm ungodly. I've hurt you. I've offended you. I've done this. I've done that. Hey, be honest because when you're honest, I'm telling you, business is going to pick up with the king. Hey, question number one, who do you belong to? Question number two, what have you done? But my favorite one's in verse 15. Watch this question. Canst thou bring me down to this company? Question number one, whose side you on, boy? Question number two, what have you done? Oh, it's been terrible. Question number three, do you want to change sides? 
I mean, that's the question he's asking. Hey, will you bring me down? Will you show me where these people are? Will you bring me down unto them? And, and, and in essence, what he said is, man, are you tired now following that master? Don't care anything about you? I mean, look at the mess you're in here. I mean, man, life is draining from you. It's just about over. Are you tired of following him? Would you like to change sides? Hey, I'm so glad one night the Lord passed by my way, and he said, who do you belong to? And I said, Lord, I belong to the devil. What have you done? Everything, Lord, that I I've done that could hurt you and offend you. I've done it, God. God, I ask you. And then he looked at me and said, hey, you want to change sides? Boy, I'm glad Jesus passed by my way one night. But he, after, after confronting me about my sin, after confronting me about whose side I was on and telling me whose family I was in and what I'd done wrong, I'm glad he didn't leave me there. But I'm glad he gave me the opportunity, thank God, to change sides. As a 16-year-old teenager, hadn't been perfect, certainly hadn't been sinless, but bless your heart, that night, March the 24th, 1960, uh, not 1960, 1979, four days from now, I don't know how many years it's going to be, but I changed sides. Aren't you glad you changed sides? Whose side you on? What have you done? Would you like to change sides? David probably just should have said to some of his young men, this guy's burned our houses, stole our cows and our chickens, and carried our family off. Boys, get your swords, fall on him, cut his head off. David said, no, I got, I got plans for you, boy. I got something I need you to do. You want to change sides? Take me down to where the company is. And I like what he said in verse number 15. He said, I'll do it, but you've got to make me a promise, king, that you won't give me back to that old master. I've had enough of him. You know what you call that? Whether you like it or you don't like it, that's eternal security. <laughs> hey, I'll go. I'll show you where that. You got to make me one promise, King. You won't give me back to that old master. He didn't care anything about me, no way. All he wanted to do was destroy me and leave me out there for the vultures to eat. I don't want to go back to him. I'll just stay with you. Man, I sure am glad I got saved. I'm glad. I change sides. Now, can I ask you this morning in closing, whose side you on? Whose side you on this morning? If you're on the devil's side, you're on the losing side. I hate to lose at anything. Do y'all? I hate to. I'm, I got a very competitive, I don't care, bless God, if we're playing badminton. I hate to lose. I'll turn over the checkerboard before my last checker gets surrendered. I hate to lose. And I tell you what, I don't want to lose spiritually. Because you lose spiritually, you lose eternally. You're following a master that's going to leave you at the end famished and forsaken. I'm asking you this morning, would you like to change sides? There is a Savior. There's a King that's very kind. After you've greatly offended Him and hurt Him, there is a king this morning that will receive you just like you are. You can change side, and, he, and he'll make you this promise. I'll never give you back to that old master. How many of y'all tired of that old master messing your life up? All right, I'm going to ask y'all again until you raise your hand. And it's already going to 11.05, and the Methodists are getting ready to get out. How many of y'all don't want to go back to the old master? No, sir. No, sir. I'm glad I changed sides. Let's pray.